Oh, what's up, man? Welcome, uh, welcome to Church and Other Drugs. My name's Jed, and I'm here with uh, Scott Countryman. Scott Countryman, the most uh, yeah, the <laughs> formerly most passive aggressive uh, congregation member. That's probably the wrong. Yeah, term. I'm <laughs> probably. I just I get snarky, I guess, and you know, I don't ever know how. I think other people perceive what I say as, as that maybe passive aggressiveness yeah we'll, we'll aggressively sarcastic yeah that is accurate we'll go with that so what's up man what's going on with you i am actually getting married tomorrow so, wait you're getting married uh, tomorrow yeah i thought you yeah, said tomorrow. friday for some reason no no uh tomorrow tomorrow oh my god yeah so this is actually like the uh i've had the house to myself this morning i've been finishing my vows and uh trying to not freak out i guess dude that's are you are you super nervous uh not really i was more nervous about my parents uh interacting with her parents they've met one other time before they had dinner over at my parents house and my parents are absolutely fucking insane and her parents are completely normal people, so I was worried about that. Uh, but my parents have a tendency to say one thing and then do the exact opposite. So I was worried about that interaction, but it went fine. And uh, it's just having everybody together and going through all the steps and, and motions is slightly terrifying. But as far as, like, the marriage and commitment itself, no, I'm, I'm not that worried about that. Okay. Yeah, you'll be fine then. And if... If uh, so, this is the same Scott from I think it was I don't know in the first like ten episodes, Scott the medicinal cocaine inmate. So uh, if you want to, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so that speaking of wives, that was my wife called, so I had to pause it there. Um, right. But yeah, so that's that's pretty incredible. If you uh, yeah, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to that, and then come back to this because it's pretty ridiculous. The like this is the cool things about getting sober. It's like now you're getting married and you're a respectable member of society. Exactly. Yeah. Uh I think we did we did a bonus episode, I think, after that first one. But yeah, I went back and listened to part of that and I was talking to Finley, uh, my future wife fiance right now, I guess. And you can kinda even in like my voice and everything, it's it's crazy how Everything changes. Everything. Yeah. It's no. It's I, I phenomenal. Was, I I was thinking that too. Even yeah, I can because that was yeah, that was like two, three years ago. Two years, three yeah. years, almost three years, I guess. But yeah, yeah e- even thinking back to my first two years sober, it's like I was a completely different person. Like completely, completely different. I think John has kind of been a good guide for that because he's what nine or ten now and yeah just like even thinking like going back to him when he was five years sober and i was one it's like you really do change like a serious amount it's that it's nice to have a barometer like that too around you and i think that when you have somebody that has decent long-term sobriety or somebody you know that you can see that you connect with on a social level and you can see the good changes in them and they can give you the advice and, and help you kind of walk through that has been helpful. I've had a couple of people that are like that. Yeah. Especially when I would think to myself, 
that I'm just insane. Like, it's like, should I be feeling this way? And then you get confirmation like, yeah, like, of course, it's going to be okay, though. Like, it's going to change. Yeah, the whole self, uh, self-loathing thing for me where it's like, especially with this marriage coming up, I'm always I'm thinking about I never thought I would be in a position to be a worthy partner, much less find a person that felt the same way about me. So that's that's probably been the biggest change. And in order to become that person, you have to do some work and self-realization and stuff in order to do that. And I don't know too many people that can be a good partner while simultaneously uh, doing that. No, and so. and so like she knows. Obviously, she knows your whole deal, and she's a normie. She's a normal normal folk. Uh, somewhere in the middle. So her dad's in recovery, and she has struggled with substance abuse in the past, but definitely not to the level that we did. She was just able to like pick up and stop. So yeah. So like a heavy, a heavy. What do they call it? A heavy user or like a heavy drinker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's does she do anything currently? No, no. Huh? So no, no that's like not, that's not true. We'll that's not true. We'll smoke <laughs> weed together. Wait, what? We'll smoke weed together. That's that's it. Oh, that's right. So you're smoking weed? I haven't in the past couple months, but yeah, on and off. So what tell me what that's been like. If you want. Uh, more so started out as sleep, trying to do that, or that was what I kind of started it as. Wait, you started it but as what? In order to get to sleep, that was kind of what started it. Okay. But, I don't know, I'm trying to think back on the evolution of it, and that's probably where it started, and just wanting to scratch that itch, you know what I mean? Well, and so how did it, how did that work out with, like, I'm sure there was like a ton of fear going into it, right? Or like, I don't know how, like, how was the decision made? Uh, spur of the moment. There was no forethought into it. Oof. Yeah. (laughs) Those are the best kind of decisions, right? (laughs) Uh, it ended up not being a bad one, but. I was able to be honest with her and it was more like we both kind of wanted to scratch the itch because she wasn't drinking and I wasn't using and it was just like, okay, we want to do something, but don't. And we probably should have thought it out more before, but we didn't. And it ended up just working out, I guess. But I say that with, it's, it's not like we were doing cartridges so you know you think it's real maybe it is maybe it isn't but it's like i got to the point after doing it for a while where it was like i can see the psychological changes as far as just changing the way that i was thinking and not necessarily paranoia but more like observance of being more aware that it was clouding everything you know what i mean yeah and so like in the negative you mean you notice changes in thinking yeah 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 exactly and so did so you like stopped doing it or it just became like 
So was there like an initial run of like when you started doing it and then it was it like consistent or uh sporadic like it would be I would hit the pen like once or twice at work with people like while I was closing and then you know you buy a couple and it kind of turns into that and I guess it was more just like experimentation where we were both able to see that it was more detrimental than beneficial yeah but it's definitely one of those things like i'm not cut off to it and it's not something that either one of us like monitor but we did make the commitment to each other like i will tell her if i'm gonna do it and she'll do the same and the other thing is like she said she doesn't when i'm stoned she's like i don't find you physically or mentally attractive so like I wasn't getting laid if I was coming home stoned or if I was getting stoned at the house. So yeah. that that played a role in it too. So I was like, if I'm not, you know, if we can't hook up after I smoke, then it's not worth it's it. Not yeah, yeah, it's not worth it. Yeah, that's a that's a real thing. I think because it, yeah, weed has become this thing where everyone just assumes it's like. Like nothing, like drinking a cup of coffee or whatever. It seems like that's kind of the cultural uh, idea of it lately. You know what I mean? But it's like, no, it's, you know, it's definitely doing something. And it's. Uh, Dude, so I use, I guess it was probably four or five months. Yeah, maybe three, four months ago. Uh, I tried the wax, which is just like, instead of having the. Uh, the cartridge stuck just having the same wax without it being cut from, you know, with the uh, fucking, you know, whatever, how they make it. But uh, you actually put it on that glass bowl with a dab or whatever. Mm-hmm. It looks like a meth rig. Shit, yeah, yeah, exactly. That shit is absolutely fucking crazy. And it took me to a place where I was like, oh, this is really, really out there. And it wasn't somewhere I wanted to be. And it, that shit was not necessarily scary, but it was scary. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's almost like a miniature trip. I remember like the, and I don't, I wonder if this is like commonplace, but like you used to trip a lot, right? Yes and no. It was yes more, and no. When I, was at a, when I was at a show, I was really controlled with uh, psychedelics just because my depression was so bad. Okay. That I was. I was always terrified of taking the ecstasy or Molly or LSD or whatever, the, the come down, you know what I mean? Yeah. And from all the rehabs and the crazy pictures of like, this is ecstasy, burn your mind. But it was more, I would notice how long it would take me to get back to normal. And even normal was shitty. You know what I mean? Yeah, so like that's true. Having to climb that staircase back up was not worth it. And, yeah, and I was a, I was able to escape with the opiates and everything else, so that worked better. That's true. Well, and I well I said that because I I wondered. It seemed like every time, and I guess it's it's definitely different smoking with with no tolerance versus eventually like you know you could hit the same thing and it wouldn't do anything or just be a mild effect or whatever. But it seemed like back when I was still using and whenever I would smoke weed, it would literally it was relatively rare because i was on probation so that was like the one thing um uh that i wouldn't do much because i was worried about drug testing which is ironic as hell and just shows how broken the system is but 
every time I would smoke, it would literally like throw me into like a like an hour long trip, basically, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and it was like this is this is uh this is a little too much. This is a little much. This is not what I signed up for cuz it's me and John were having that talk too. It's like remember back in high school when like weed was just like this it really was just this like goofy fun eat some Doritos thing you would do like after school. Yeah, and this is the thing. So like being a chef and working long hours, I would I would either open, I would get to the restaurant at 6.30 in the morning and work until 7 or 8 at night. And, like, you're physically tired, but I'm, like, mentally jazzed up. And it was either that shift or I would go in at 3 and I would come home at 1 or 2. And wanting to use something to come down, I wasn't willing to exercise and do it that way. And like mm. walking the dog, walking the dogs around the neighborhood and doing that was working, but not working. And I didn't want to take a sleep aid or Ambien or something and constant Tylenol PM and melatonin wasn't really working. I didn't like those side effects. So that's really where the experimentation or trying the weed started with. You know, am I, so I had sleep. That's a, that's a funny thing too. I want, I, I'm assuming it's pretty, especially in the restaurant industry, but just with drug addicts in general, I think sleep is always like the big thing, right? Like getting back to regular sleep. So I would, I would go through cycles of, um, yeah, Tylenol PM or NyQuil or which that really sucks long term, and I hate it. And it's like, once you kind of open that door then you can't sleep without it and then it's like you just go on like you have to do it for like a week or whatever and it always sucks um yeah especially too because i used to be on rimmer on so like that was fine but i didn't like that because it's you know you literally had to sleep for nine hours and if you couldn't get those nine hours you were worthless when you woke up right yeah or even if you woke up those two hours you're not going to be your normal self yeah and it was like i had a scheduled bedtime which i hated too so that's originally why i got off of that and then that's i guess when the sleep because i was i was on that for my first three years of recovery so i guess that's when the my difficulty sleeping started and then like with my working out if i took a I work out in the afternoon so if i took a pre-workout you know then that would you know i would have to take something to sleep um, but then I, I got on clonidine too, right? And I think you used to take that for sleep. I, I still I still take that, and I, I mean, I love that that drug. It really really works for me, and it is sometimes like my psychologist. I, I told her, I guess it was probably this past month. I was like, I know I'm definitely physically addicted to it. Is that uh, possible? quantity the blood pressure medication yeah i mean you're definitely uh physically yeah for sure that's the thing oh damn but <laughs> to be, well because i didn't i noticed it when i ran out or took too much whatever and it, it never happened to me before and i just fucking could not sleep and it was one night and i was like maybe i over dramatic you know drama whatever yeah but uh it was a it was a thing at least for me and she was like no you're not and i was like yes i am but either way yeah i still take it and uh 
the way it's prescribed is four a day. I end up usually taking two at night. Or if I know, like say I'm closing or whatever, I would, I'll take one with me to work and take it at 11 whenever service stops and we're just cleaning. And then by the time I get home, I'm a little more uh, relaxed. I've always, like, you know, because I think I've heard you say drugs do what they're supposed to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it will, low, it will lower your blood pressure, which was one of the things I was seeking and trying to go to sleep. So. Yeah. Well, the, the new thing I figured out is um, I got some magnesium glycinate and valerian root. And that's ends up, and then the clonidine sometimes, but... I found that has helped a ton. Like I haven't, I've been, I haven't had to take any over the counter sleep aid in. It's going on like a month now, which is like the longest. Um, no shit. I've man, even yeah. when I was in car, even when I was incarcerated, I was taking melatonin. Uh, I've never been without something for sleep, like ever. <laughs> well, and they, and what's crazy is like if you read into melatonin, like people, like the stuff they sell is like a hundred times the effective dose like the the more stuff i read about it is saying like even uh, i don't want to mess it up but like 0.5 milligrams is better or like one or two and i used to take like 10 or 15 or you know like crazy amounts but apparently it's like way more effective it's it's kind of like rimeron in that it's like the the smaller the dose like the more effective it is Less is more. Less is more, right? Like so, like uh, yeah. like Suboxone too. Really, that's funny. Like the all you really need is like two milligrams, but maybe throwing thirty two on there. Yeah, I mean, shit. I was on thirty six for a long God. time. God, that's so much, dude. That's so much. That's so much. It's, it's so it's so incredibly much. Yeah, but yeah, no, we were anyway. um. What was that? Oh, one thing I wanted to, to... So we got Thanksgiving coming up, right? Yeah. What was your worst Thanksgiving using? Let's see. Worst Thanksgiving using. Or incarcerated or in treatment or just like worst uh, Thanksgiving. Okay. So the worst Thanksgiving was definitely like right... Let's see, this is right before I went away, and I was living in Mississippi, and every, we were doing family Thanksgiving in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and everybody was coming to, like, from both sides of the family, whatever, and all three of my brothers, and I was going to be sick, and I was playing the back-and-forth waiting game with my dealer, I knew I had to leave by a certain time in order to get there on time. You know what I mean? And yes, it ended up working one. out. Yeah. So I chose to stay and wait on my drug dealer rather than go to the Thanksgiving meal. And then I called my parents and made up this fake story that I drove halfway there and I was on drug court. Uh, or those, I had those pending charges that I, I initially, you know, that I went away on. Mm-hmm. And I said that I got pulled over and I wasn't allowed to travel outside the state. So rather than arrest me, they sent me home and I couldn't leave the state. And that's why I wasn't going to be there. 
for oh my god thanksgiving yeah which was such a terrible terrible thing and it wasn't like that was in the back of my mind but it wasn't until i saw uh some of my cousins who i had not seen in forever and they came to saltwater cowboys and I bought him lunch. It was a great experience. And she was like, you know, the last time I was supposed to see you was that Thanksgiving when you made that crazy story up. And I was like, oh, shit, I had completely forgotten about that. Oh, uh, man. And just to see, like, how impactful that was for her and everybody there. Because, like, they all know you're lying. And it's a right. crazy thought-out story it, that you have, like, all these details. And it's yes, it's it, the more elaborate. It's like the the true stories it's like the truth these days is like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna make it damn it and like that's it you know what i mean like you know it's a lie if you're like so all right i was on i-10 it was approximately 11 15 i got pulled over right it was officer johnson and it's like Uh, you're lying dave matthews was on the radio yeah (laughs) dude mine uh, this and i i hate even it's like yeah they suck but mine was it was i don't know 12 or 13 and uh i think this is when like i wasn't really in contact with my family much like would pretty much would only talk on holidays and i you know i was in the meantime i was trying to convince him that i was doing okay like things weren't that bad that sort of thing how old were you this this was this was probably about a year before six months or a year before i got sober so 26 27 26 yeah Yeah. um and me and my buddy randy and this other like you know ridiculous drug friend or whatever were on a search for morphine pills or something so we're all and you know it's like thanksgiving day everyone's with their family and like that's the day usually drug dealers never answer or they answer a weird time so it's always a pain in the ass right because everyone's with their family yeah. like they should be. So we were driving around, um, or we got the call to go get some pills, something like that, and we were driving around. And that was when um, I got the phone call. Or, yeah, I think my parents called me, and they do the, like, pass the phone around the family. Like, say everybody say hey to Jed or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say hey to their loser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I was talking to my mom, and so at the same time, we're trying to find drugs. So, like, the people in the truck are on the phone with the drug dealers. And, you know, before you call the parents or anyone important, you, you know, you're like, all right, guys, like, don't say don't say OxyContin. Yeah, shut the fuck up while I'm on the phone. Like, just be cool for 10 minutes. Like, you can do it. And I remember – um so I was talking to my mom and then it switched to my dad and my da- me and my dad's relationship was the most strained at that point. Um, and I was just, you know, we were just talking and I remember um, we had missed the turn and this guy, the guy next to me just starts screaming like, you know, we missed the turn. Like he called, he's good, he's good, he's good. And I was like, shut oh, up, shut God. up, shut up. And then I went back to the phone and he had just hung up and it like, I realized that he under you know like i in that moment was able to understand what this was like from his side and like he's like i'm here calling my son on thanksgiving and he you know he knew what was going on and that that realization was just like oh god like this is awful this is like this is the worst this is the low point for sure yeah and then you just make it all go away 
Yeah, or you try to. <laughs> you do your best. Yeah. It never really does. I, I was able that's that was one of the biggest things, escapism. Like I was always able to convince myself very, very well that it was much better than it was. You know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. like I haven't been able to come to all these realizations until I had a little bit of time and clarity and you start like interacting with these people again. And it's really, it was really after like two years of, uh, of being clean. And it's like, okay, you start interacting with these people again and they mention things on the side or you just pick up on certain things. You're like, Oh fuck. I remember that. It was way worse than I thought it was initially. Yeah, perception is insane and just realizing like how different a mindset it is. I I yeah. still I rem- I I guess it's still it's it's been different cuz my my grandparents moved, but holidays at first were so so weird for me because prior to getting sober and when I was still part of the family and before anyone knew what was really going on, Thanksgiving and Christmas always meant that, A, I was going to be going to family members and the elderly family members who always had pills of some kind, right? Um, Yeah. And that I was going to be getting money, like Thanksgiving money and Christmas money. And so, like, it it was – they they were always so good because it was like – and I – yeah, I remember I would like always whenever I would figure out what I was getting, text my dope dealer and we would be in um like Greenville, South Carolina and I would just, you know, just could not wait to get home like cuz I knew what was up, like I got money and like yeah, things are great. And it was just it was always accompanied with this that the best feeling in the world when you were using which is that like you know you're about to score cuz you have means now, right? And that's yeah, like anticipation. Oh, it's like an indescribably like you could be dope sick and you're just so happy because you know what's coming, right? And yeah. so I remember the first few Christmases after that, even like getting gifts or money or whatever, it was like my brain would still go to that. Oh, this now means that we can go get high, and then then it would immediately be followed by like, no, 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 wait, that's not a thing anymore. So it was this weird like push and pull of like excitation followed by like a weird disappointment. And in I remember too the, the first Christmas I went to my grandma's and grandparents' house that I'd always like stolen pills from, and I felt weird even like going to the bathroom. And I'm, I'd am been a year sober, but I was like, are they wondering if I'm stealing pills or whatever? And being back in that environment, it was just this weird, like, ugh, I don't like this. I don't like this feeling at all. Yeah. At least I know, like, for me, I had those exact same feelings, but I took it to the point where if they knew I was coming over, like, there was a pre-Scott checklist where you were like, <laughs> yep. okay, let's make sure that this substance is locked up, and they would just set these boundaries they were like okay you cannot go here and don't worry we already put this up and are there be like tape over where the bathroom uh thing was they did that one time you know what i mean so like, that's great tape. yeah no totally yeah. i i started yeah. re- requesting that yeah because it was like yeah just make sure I, I remember one time too and i i guess like after the years it, it kind of laxed up again but i i remember i was looking for 
salt or something like something legit and there it was it was like a bottle of lore tabs and i was like i was just i just i just left i just ran out of the room i was like nope no i didn't tell anyone ever that i even found it or anything i was just like i don't like this feeling at all going away now i'll tell you as far as that like feeling of anticipation i knew that i was getting better when certain things like that will come up you know like you get paid or you get some extra money and now i'm like yes now i have enough money to buy this sandpaper in this wood project that i want to work on or like Dude, all right now we yes. can go out to dinner or whatever it is like the thought of going out and and copying is not it's just not it's not there you know what i mean it's it's not it's really not and i even realize it like i, I always run the scenario in my head it's like if i you know if i were to relapse it's like literally i would I could I, I I could burn through all of my resources within probably within a month and then I wouldn't be able to go to work. Like you know what I'm saying? Like it would be so fast and easy to just cuz it's like the way we use like it takes quite a lot of money and it's like I wouldn't I would burn through my paycheck and then I wouldn't be able to go to work so there'd be no more paychecks. That'd be that'd be probably 3 weeks and then pawning all of my possessions would be another two weeks max you know what i mean and then then you're done then you're back at square one then you gotta resort back to crime and then you're probably gonna go to jail and it's like you're looking at a month maybe two yeah if that yeah if that and this is this is five years worth of accumulation and being sober it's like ugh, what a nightmare man like i don't mm. No, thank That's you. True. Yeah, exactly. I don't miss that shit. I really don't. I don't. What? What? If anything, what do you miss? Um, I miss the euphoria. I miss the euphoria. It's. I still think you can't. I can't obtain that level of uh, of happiness or joy that that heroin took me to that initial warm blanket of everything is non-existent, but this current feeling, you know mm. what I mean? Yep. And now that I've been on an SSRI for a while and I'm stable, it's like, I don't ever reach those huge uh, ups or huge downs. So it's just like, it's a level, it's a level playing field, but it's like, you're not supposed to feel that good all the time. You know what I mean? Like, right. It's life. And I think a lot of it also has to do with just getting older and more mature. It's such an arrested development scenario when you're using and stuff that you can't, you know, you can't mature and you can't go through these life experiences or get the right things out of the experiences and learning scenarios that happen. I I completely agree. And especially with like, I don't, I remember early on my, um, my mom was just like trying to, she was like asking me like, like, what was it like? Or like, what was the pull of it? And I was, I was, it's like, you really cannot quite explain the feelings, the, the level of pleasure you get from things like shooting up cocaine shooting up heroin or like shooting up meth it's like you can't even accurately convey like that level of 
euphoria. Like it's impossible. It's it's so yeah. it's so alien to the human experience that it's it's it's. I think a lot of it has to do too with you throw in the act of doing that and feeling that good and everything associated with it is like selfishness. You know what I mean? And mm. sometimes it, it feels really good to be selfish. And it's such a different way of feeling and acting from normalcy. You know what I mean? That's a, yeah, that's a good point. That, that whole act of like being selfish and just focusing on your own wants and needs and desires coupled with drugs do what they're supposed to do. They do make you feel good. That I think just like shatters something in your mind that you're never able to fully replace. That's true because I, I remember the last um, the last relapse I had before I got sober. It was after struggling to get sober and like worrying about. I was in a halfway house and like worrying about if I was going to get caught and worrying if my parents are going to find out and worrying about keeping a job. And I remember when I left the house and shot up for the first time. It was just that relief of like. No more responsibility. Um, it was just like a freedom. It, it's like that yeah. initial lie of like, oh my God, I can like fuck everyone else and everything else. I'm just going to do this and like things are good for that moment. Things are great and like I don't care. It's, I mean, it's all selfishness, man. That's yeah. really, I, I think it's, and it's emptiness at the same time because it feels good for a minute, but it's just like the emptiness of not taking care of your responsibilities and not doing that and having it be like a 180, especially if you're not, you know, speaking from a relapse perspective, if you are surrounded by decent people and you've built up those relationships and stuff and to do a 180 from that, it just, it sucks. And it doesn't feel good for mm-hmm. nearly as long as it, as it did before. No, yeah, that's 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 what's crazy too. Is it, it's yeah the the time the good the good times really are like over with. Like once you once you've hit like a bottom and tried to get sober and then go back out, like it's you're done. Like there's yeah, no more. There is no more like having carefree fun using. I I will tell you the number one reason why I feel like I haven't re- relapsed in the last little while and everything is the change of the drugs itself with the introduction of fentanyl and not knowing what you're getting and having it, you know, almost just be fentanyl and everything in the removing of, you know, heroin and oxy from the marketplace. It's just like, it's not worth it. And it's it's not the, the thing of the death or the fear of death and the actuality of it and seeing so many people die is been the only thing uh that has really done it for me yeah it's you really don't you are really not guaranteed um even a a shot at getting like there's almost no such thing anymore as like oh i just made a mistake consequence free it's like they're the it's i don't even know if it's probably more than 50 50 that like that one will just kill you you know what i mean it's like yeah it's I think almost worse than 50 50. And it's just like that idea and the lack of a secure drug that you can trust is something that I couldn't really deal with. And they always tell you when you're in treatment and stuff,
die and you will die and blah, blah, blah. It always went over my head. And it wasn't until the spinal introduction over the last four or five years and seeing so many people fucking die or blow their brains out that I've been like, fuck this. It's not, it's not worth it. Yeah, it's not. How long do you think this is going to go on? Like before the next wave happens of, of whatever that is. But I, I really am curious, like how long this fentanyl age is going to keep going. Uh, I don't, I think it's going to be replaced by, uh, methamphetamine again. The, uh, vice has been doing some really cool stuff with that, but with the change in laws, especially out in California where they've almost decriminalized methamphetamine possession, forget the amount. Uh, I heard about that, but it's like in, all right. So in California, Arizona, and like those surrounding States or whatever, especially where the cartel is really big in order to keep uh, people out of prison to stop mass incarceration, they've lowered the consequences for possessing methamphetamine. And that's a drug that can be readily manufactured you know, easily. And that coupled with the legal consequences not being so high, I really feel that that's going to be the next run. But that shit, is, it just, Amphetamines in general just change your personality, and meth especially. I think there's something almost demonic or I do too. anti-spiritual about it, where it's just like you've seen or done it yourself. You just know that it's just a darkness. Yeah, that that's what I'm saying. That would be that would that would be not well. And I remember reading something too, saying the the current trend in overdose deaths uh, in on the West Coast now it's more from meth but i'm what is it like but that's weird because overdosing on meth was one of those things that's like you feel like you're gonna die but actual truly like overdosing and dying from meth it was pretty difficult so that's why i'm wondering like is it because of like it being cut with fentanyl or is it like people literally dying from meth i didn't think there was a toxicity level of that of, that's what uh, i was yeah like I've well, always, I mean, I've, I've there always is. thought that there wasn't a uh, an overdose availability of that drug, but that doesn't sound right. Now yeah, I mean, there's a, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you can, you know, there's a there's a LD fifty for corn and green beans, I'm sure, but yeah. it's like, yeah, but yeah, it's it's way higher than you're gonna use. You know what I mean? But it's you do feel like you're gonna die, but yeah, you but you don't. So I guess it has to be something with a, a cut or something. But that was, I think Bob Forrest was talking, or maybe not. Someone was, I read it somewhere uh, on some news site that yeah, that the overdose deaths from meth in the West Coast are uh, outpacing the opioid deaths. Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, Bob is such an amazing guy. He's so nice. We've interacted a couple times online, and like never spoken. He like. Uh, sent me a personal email about the wedding and stuff. He was just so nice. And he was like, I've seen you talk online. We've interacted on Reddit and some other things. But uh, he just seems like a really nice, honest, caring person, too. He that He's he's one of those, he's one of the people that kind of like, uh, that's like my goal with counseling is like I really want to end up being just the like cool, wise, Obi-Wan type old dude. You know what I mean? Like just kind yeah. of chill and peaceful and like that those are those are my long-term counseling goals he's definitely up there dude and he uh 
saved John Frusciante's life, which is my favorite musician, maybe ever. Is is that the story he's telling about? Like he literally, like his his apartment floor was covered with so many needles, but there was like a, a beaten path through yes. the needles. Like that is crazy. Yeah. There that used crazy. to be. If you search real hard on Reddit, you can find the video. There is uh, an interview that he did with some Dutch Prashanti uh, that he did with some Dutch writer. And you can see his current living conditions in the state that he's in. He almost, what happened was he didn't know how to inject. Nobody taught him how to do it. So he was like doing IMs and skin popping basically with dirty needles, which led to MRSA infections. And then he was also on a not showering uh, kick or whatever. So he got these really terrible infections on both his forearms. And if you still see him now, uh, they really thought they were going to have to amputate both his arms, but Ugh. they didn't. And he has these terrible skin grafts that are all over his arms. Uh, when he played, MTV actually blurred him out. I forget. It was like one of those. It was the first tour that he came back on, and they blurred out his arms, which was oh, weird. Oh, no but, way. They had to censor it? Yeah, he well, he always does a part of the show where he'll he plays a song by himself. He's usually like a cover or something like that. Uh, but he takes his shirt off and he's just wearing uh, a wife beater, and it goes from that to you know the pixelated covering stuff on his arm. Damn, that is gnarly. I wonder. I always like so. I and I turned into. I guess that's why I turned into a complete like hypochondriac. But like. I guess that's just the difference between active use and and not. But it's like, yeah, dude, just I used to be so disgusting, like, and you well, just I, don't care. I think it, a lot of it too is like I know you you went, you had hepatitis C also, right? You went through the uh, treatment. Yep. Uh, I did that too, and when I had it, it was and then got clean. It was like you almost want to protect other people from yourself. So I think like. Yeah, that almost gets externalized and, and turned outward. You know what I mean? Where you're just like, instead of you're just protecting yourself and other people from your nastiness. Yeah, I think I think um, being locked up did it a little bit too. Yeah, yeah, like dude. that, Fuck dude. Shit. I got this. I got the most disgusting. It was. I think it was like it was some sort of ringworm, but it was. All it looked like a continent of the like of the like it looked like a world map. It was just this massive, disgusting rash all over my torso. And I worked in the kitchen, and we had those um, rubber work boots. And I worked in the dish pit, so I, I was I basically got like swamp rot, like foot rot, like that they got in like yeah. Vietnam. I mean it. I mean, and I remember one time I was like I was just and they just give you boots that you know thousands of people before you had been using and never cleaned out and i remember this i was asked i was like man can i wear your or i was trying to get someone else's boots and my my good friend courtney in there was like i mean i would do but i'm gonna just be real like your feet are disgusting <laughs> and i was yeah. like yeah i, I got you you motherfucking, you motherfucking gross dog <laughs> yeah you disgusting yo <laughs> oh dude oh shit yeah that place is gross bro so maybe that was had a, a because all any kind of like ugh, skin diseases things just make me so sick now I hate it. Yeah. To uh, change topics, you you didn't have alcohol at your wedding either, did you? 
Um, no, I did not. But like I said, um, our decision was mainly financial because you save thousands of dollars if you don't supply alcohol. Yeah, like two thousand is what we think. But I think uh, I was talking with you, John, and some other people just going back and forth. And uh, I think it was really like you that pushed me or your advice that pushed it over there. You were like, you know, it's not about them. It's about us. And you don't have to have that. You know what I mean? Because all it was was just the social look of it. I didn't like the idea of not providing. You know what I mean? Yeah, which is a very southern culture thing, which in in, in Louisiana, I, I would argue it's almost even even more so. But yeah, no, it was it was just like. Yeah, man, it's it's your wedding. They can they can fall in line or just not come. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. or just tell them to get drunk beforehand. <laughs> like, bring a flask. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what you told me. Was like, dude, just tell them to bring a flask. And we have to have it. Uh, yeah. So, so but, that's what you decided was was no alcohol. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So we're not doing. We got the rehearsal dinner actually tonight in like two hours, uh, and then we're not doing it there or uh, at the wedding, which is cool. Nice, dude. Yeah, that's what's up. I'm so. Where are y'all going for your honeymoon? Uh, nowhere. Nowhere. Nice. We're all, yeah, we're not. Uh, we both took a week off work, so we'll be here. Uh, her family is from Annapolis, Maryland, and then you know, with Thanksgiving stuff being on Thursday, a bunch of her oh, family right. is coming in town here, and they rented some houses out on Folly. So we've got our own house on Folly, so it's more like a vacation, even though you know we live. 20 minutes away on James Island. Uh, we're going to go there and spend the rest of the week. And then I go back to work Sunday. Nice. Well, that'll be cool. And you can, you can always go on a honeymoon whenever you want. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to fish to the, I guess. Yeah. It's the following weekend, not this oh, yeah. weekend, but next week in Charleston. So uh, that's kind of a vacation slash honeymoon thing too. Well, right on, man. Well, Scott, it's always good having you on and catching up dude and i'm very uh very thankful for you and i'm super stoked that you're getting married um yeah me too yeah uh i'm, I'm, I'm very grateful i'm very grateful for your our friendship and stuff it's nice to uh to have a barometer and you know you always answer my text which is rare not rare but you know what i mean I oh like yeah dude we both of us for each other if i ever needed anything or or whatever that you're always uh, there and I think it's the upkeep of those type of these type of relationships that helps you tremendously in recovery. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. I was talking um, on another podcast yesterday about that, and I, that was like the biggest thing was like you just you have to have close relationships with people in this thing. Like you just got to. It's it's not yeah. even it's not even optional. And doing what you say you're going to do, which is why I felt shitty when we had to cancel this. Uh, when work came up and, and did this and it's like, okay, I, I know a hundred percent that he will understand because life just fucking happens sometimes. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, it's like, you know what I mean? It would have been easy for me to put this off and not do it. And it would have been legitimate, but it's like, I'm always glad when I speak with you. So yeah, for sure, man. Well, Scott, I love you buddy and good luck tomorrow and uh, send me lots of pictures. Yeah. I'm sure I'll post some stuff online, man. All right, man. All right. Later.
Tiny hole into your head 